everybody, I'm Ashley, and welcome to this month's edition of The Dollar Club, opportunity to give just $1 and see the amazing things that can happen when we all do good together. Today, we're sitting down with J.T. Olson, the founder of Both Hands, and he introduced us to Gail, who is raising her 17-year-old grandson on her own after the loss of his parents earlier this year. Can you just walk us through a little bit what the last year has been like for you losing a child and also trying to raise your grandson? So my grandson is really struggling. I'm struggling to, I try to explain to him, he did lose his mom, but at the same time, that's my baby girl. I've got a great loss as well. He feels that it's only him. 90 days before she passed, he lost his dad as well. That's so much loss in such a short amount of time. Absolutely. And I focus on him more than myself. I know I'm gonna break down, but right now my focus is on him. What do you love about your grandson? Number one, that he's my grandson. And I thank and praise the Lord for blessing us with him. He's a football player, he, he's enjoying sports, and he enjoys helping people too. You're a widow as well. You lost your husband 13 years ago, is that right? Yeah, it was 13 years ago. We found out that he had cancer. It was stage four when we found out. It's been a rough ride. JT, tell me just a little bit about Both Hands and what you do. Well, we help families raise money for adoptions, and we do it by working on a widow's house. I was doing a golf fundraiser several years ago where you send letters out and say, sponsor me while I golf. I had a buddy who said, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you. Mm. But you're just golfing. A couple years later, I'm in church running to a friend of mine. He says, I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. For me personally, that resonated because it took me back to when I was 12 years old living on a farm in northeastern Iowa. There was five of us kids. and. One weekend, my mom and dad left to celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. I remember sitting in the basement, and my brother came down the stairs, and I said, are mom and dad home? And he said, mom and dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. My aunt and uncle had three kids of their own. They took all five of us. So I know what it's like to have someone come in and say, we got you. So we got about 13, 14 friends. We all sent letters out to everyone we knew saying, would you sponsor me for the day while I work on Miss Lucille's house? That's amazing. When it was over, we'd raise a little over 70,000. Mm. We've done a 1,280 projects now in 45 states and we've raised over 18 million. What does it mean to you to be able to help women and widows who are in need? It feels like every fiber of my being is put to the use that God made it to be. That's what it feels like. So Gail, can you tell me just some of the things that your house that needs to be fixed? My home here is the home that my mom left, and it hadn't been worked on since 94. There's no heat or air. I froze last night. You sleep in your socks and your shoes, and you put gloves on, you put a hoodie on and a cap on. After I showered this morning, I went to turn it off, and it continued to run. The tub got like three-fourths full, <laughs> and I was trying to, I called in, and. I called my neighbor and he got it shut off, so it's off right now. And we'll deal with how we're gonna get through the night. There's an oven that needs to be fixed too, right? So the washer and dryer, the range, the refrigerator is okay right now. 
there's mold coming through on the walls, but now it's getting on the ceiling. So the house is just, just in a big mess over there. What would it mean to you, Gail, to have so many of these things in your house fixed? It would be the world to me. Right now, I really don't even have a bed. I'm sleeping on a love seat. But I don't complain because I know that God always sends you what you need when you need it. So at Cross Point, we have this thing called the Dollar Club, where once a month we ask everybody in the church to throw in an extra dollar, pull that money together, find a need in the community that needs to be filled, and go fill it. Today, we have a check for both hands to be able to help you do these things in your house that you need to have done for $15,000. <laughs> Is that amazing? Is that not amazing? Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Gail, it's only because of the generosity of a whole lot of people. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, both hands. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. One more time, can we give God thanks for for Miss Gail and for her faith and how it's bolstered our faith and her trust in God and the way that God moves through generosity. Through generosity, God moves in a in a powerful way, and uh, and we've been looking forward to this week. For quite some time that we get an opportunity to share at the year end, our year end giving, where we give a chance to share what we get to be a part of together um, and some new initiatives, some initiatives that are above and beyond our normal ministry as a church. And as you're considering year end giving and trying to figure out um, how God would lead you to give, I want to share these initiatives with you. I want to share these projects that we believe that God has led us to. And we've been praying, and I want to ask you to be praying how God would have you be a part of this as well. And we're calling this Neighbors and Nations. That's our focus this year is Neighbors and Nations. And and so the first place that we want to make a, a serious investment, substantial investment, is with both hands. Now, when we saw the work that's going on and when we heard about what was happening with both hands, we knew this is somewhere we want to be involved. We want to be a part. And especially when we heard Miss Gail's story, you know, in the scriptures, there's this trinity of compassion you see between orphans, widows and foreigners. Essentially, God's heart is for those who are most vulnerable. And he calls us as his people Um, to serve others and to care for those who are most vulnerable. So when we heard about how they were bringing orphans and widows, meeting those needs together, we're like, we want to be a part of this. And we heard Ms. Gail's story, and maybe as you heard that story, you thought that's going to require more than $15,000. And uh, and we we knew we wanted to make an impact greater than $15,000. So uh, estimates of those repairs have been at $50,000, above and beyond what we've already given through the Dollar Club. And so we want to pay for the rest of those repairs in Miss Gail's house. And then we want to uh, realize that there are more Miss Gales across Middle Tennessee. We want to make another investment of $150,000 into both, both hands into helping fund um, the, the repair of these widows' houses across Middle Tennessee. So we're, we're excited. This is that first initiative that we believe that God has called us to. 
And then the, the, the second issue, there, you know, when we talked last week about, um, we really, as we were having the conversation about the Good Samaritan, realizing there are people all around us who have been beat up on the road of life. There are people who have, who have sometimes because of their own choices, but then also because of decisions that were beyond their control. And we just realized there, there are people who are, who are struggling. And, and it's not our responsibility, it's not our job to judge them, it's our responsibility to love them and to demonstrate compassion and to share the gospel. And so as a church, we're looking for where is God already moving and what we're doing and how can we do more of that? And one of the places that we've seen God move in a powerful way over the past, uh, over the past couple years, I don't know if you realize it or not, um, but there is, there's something called Pando. And it is this, it's, it's with God behind bars. It's, it's Pando oversees God behind bars. And, and Pando created this Pando app. It's, it's essentially like, like Netflix for church services. And back in 2021, we had an opportunity to sponsor these tablets for inmates in prisons. Beyond our normal ministry with God behind bars at the Tennessee Prison for Women, we have an opportunity to go beyond that. And so we had the chance to sponsor 4,000 tablets. So 4,000 tablets that went around the country and where, where these inmates had an opportunity to, to watch uh, the church services. And what God has done through this is, is remarkable. Um, I want to show you some numbers. Over the past, uh, over the past two years, um, here's what we've seen. 1.3 million services have been watched. So 1.3 million services watched. And 1,937 inmates have come to Christ because of the way that you gave to this. And so we've been in conversation with, with, with the Pando app, with the folks behind the Pando app, and it's $18 to sponsor one tablet. And so we want to, to double the impact there. We want to sponsor another 4,000 tablets um, together. And we, the stories we've been hearing have been incredible. We get a stack of letters like, like every week. Um, CJ reached out to us from Seattle, and CJ um, started, he started watching when he was in prison in Seattle, and he said that they would yell and say a new Crosspoint service was up, and then they would watch it, and then when they would get together for meals, they would talk about, like, have a small group. They would have their own small group and conversation about what God has done, and so these, the numbers that we've shared is just a reflection of what God is already doing through that, and so we, we're praying that God would do more, and so we want to sponsor another 4,000 uh, tablets, and Along with that, with God Behind Bars, um, it's been significant what's happened in, in the Deborah K. Johnson Rehabilitation Center, formerly known as the Tennessee Prison for Women. Every single week, I don't know if you realize this or not, but every single week, uh, Pastor Doug Teeson, an amazing team of volunteers, go in and serve. And, and they have the same uh, service that we experience at all of our other campuses. It's our God Behind Bars campus. And what we've seen God do there is, is incredible. And through um, Pastor Doug and the team faithfully serving, the prison has come to us and said, um, we'd like to ask for your help. We want to try to figure out how to do what you're doing for general population how to bring it to maximum security, to the place where, where these ladies, where they only get to leave their cell one hour a day. So 23 hours in a cell. So we want to figure out how they can watch the services through an eight by eight window. And for many of these ladies, it's the only message of hope that they'll receive. And they said, can you help us figure that out? And Pastor Doug was like, yes, yes, we'll figure, we'll figure it out, and we'll pray, and we'll figure it out together. Because when somebody asks, can you figure out how to get the gospel? Can you figure out how to get a message of hope to somebody in what can be considered a hopeless place like that? 
Um, and we want to shine the light in the darkness. And so the opportunity that we have there at Tennessee Prison for Women, the Deborah K. Johnson Rehabilitation Center, and also with those tablets, um, that's going to require, that's going to require $100,000 together for us to do both of those, both of those projects. And then the third opportunity that we have is, is with a partner, with a global partner that we have, um, Convoy of Hope. And, uh, and Convoy of Hope is doing great work around the world in some of the most difficult places. In fact, our our passion as a church is how do we reach places that, are, that have urgent spiritual need and urgent um, physical need? And, uh, and so they shared with us about a new work that they have an opportunity for in West Africa in a, in a closed country. And what that means, that's a, that's a place where, where it's, um, Christians are persecuted. And, uh, and so where many people have never heard the gospel. And they've come to us with an opportunity to, to set up a, a child feeding center, to set up a, a child feeding center that's, that's sustainable, but will require significant investment in the, in the first year. And what we'd be able to do, we'd be able to serve 250, 250 kids and to serve their meals. And for many of them, this would be the, the only food that they get every single day. And so we have an opportunity to start that, that feeding center and make that investment for, for the first year, and then it's sustainable after that. And then there's another opportunity, they said, in the same region in West Africa for us to uh, help women start businesses. They've, they found that this is one of the most effective ways to break the poverty cycle. And so through financial education and business training and microenterprise funding, um, through the capital that's needed for them to start these businesses, this is the most effective way for generational change. So we can meet urgent physical needs and urgent spiritual needs and share the love and the hope of Christ. And so for us to do all of these things together with our partner, with our Convoy of Hope, is going to be $225,000. And so these projects all coming together, saying we want to be a church that reaches our neighbors and reaches the neighbors, I mean, our nations and the neighbors, it, it's going to require all of us asking God what he would have us do. In fact, when you go back and you look at last year, what we were able to do together we raised $442,000. Now, the way this, this worked last year is we said everything that, everything that we receive from now until the end of the year, 20% goes out into missions, goes out to these projects. And so it was $442,000 that we raised together last year to accomplish the initiatives and the projects that God had for us. Now, all of the things that I've shared with you together from both hands to God Behind Bars to the Pando app to our work with Convoy of Hope, all of that this year, our goal is $525,000. Now, you might say, that's a big number. You're right. That's a big number. You say, well, how do we achieve that? Well, one person could write. If, you're, if you could write that check, that'd be great. Call me. Let me know. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But, but how do we do this together? Well, it's all of us asking God what he would have us do. And then we all just follow in obedience. This is, this is not, a, it's not a fundraiser, it's a faith raiser. And the way faith is raised is by us praying and talking with God and then following as he, as he leads. And then together we can see God move in these ways. So 20% of all that's given from now until the end of the year will go toward these projects because we want to be a church that's for our neighbors and for the nations. And it's for our neighbors and for the nations. And this is an opportunity that we have. So if you're going, how do we find out more? Well, you can go to crosspoint.tv slash EOY, end of year giving. You can go there. Or you can scan this QR code, and it'll take you to the site. And there's an opportunity, a link to, uh, to give now. And you can, you can give that way. So I just encourage you, spend the next couple of weeks 
And as you pray and process, and maybe even today, you just know God's put it on your heart what he would have you give. You can give that way, and we'll celebrate and see what, uh, what God does through us together, through our generosity. So Neighbors and Nations, that's the series that we've been in. That's the conversation, because we believe, Scripture teaches, that God's heart is for all people. And God wants every person, God wants every person to encounter him and have a relationship with him. And so we've, over the series we, we, we've shared the first week, we talked about uh, what it means to make space for others. And we talked about the forces of acceptance and rejection, how they're the two most powerful forces. There, there is this gravitational pull. When we feel accepted, right, there's like this gravitational pull toward environments where we feel accepted. And then there's, there's this repulsion where we are repelled from environments where we feel rejection. I think this is oftentimes why, why, why teenagers, and they don't necessarily choose their friends. They just tend to gravitate toward where they're accepted. And it, it doesn't change much as adults. Even as adults, we gravitate toward the places where we feel accepted. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church at Rome, a very diverse group of people, he says, accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another as Christ is accepted. How did Jesus accept you? As you are. With unconditional love. With all of your past and all of your hurts and all of your habits and all of your hangups, with all of your struggles, that's how he accepted you. And so accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Here's what Paul is saying. is the way that we accept other people, that is an act of worship. So you're a worship leader. Some of you are like, Feeling pretty good. Like, you are a worship leader. You're a worship leader. You lead worship in the way that you accept. I would even say that how we accept other people matters more than the music that comes from a platform. Because we can have the most amazing music. And we do have wonderful music. We have the most amazing music. But if somebody experiences an environment that's characterized by unacceptance or rejection, it can sabotage the very thing that God wants to do. On the other hand, when we accept people, when we receive people, it's like praise to God. The story that illustrates this, a couple weeks ago, uh, Bolton and I had an opportunity. We went out to the Dixon campus to go, uh, go see some folks that were out there, and Bolton's my 14-year-old. We went out there, and before we went to the service, we went to Dixon Donuts. And Dixon Donuts, they have these... Um, Apple fritters, it was a spiritual experience. It was when they gave them to me, just I heard angels. Oh, I mean, it was like, and so we, 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 we had those apple fritters and then we went in, we started talking with some folks and met Linda. And, uh, and Linda introduced herself and she said, she's a part of the sit with me group. And I'm like, what's the sit with me group? And she said, well, the sit with me group is we get together and then we look for people who are sitting by themselves and we said, hey, would you like to sit with me? Well, it's a novel idea. They had T-shirts and everything. I mean, it's like there was like an official group. And she said, then we go to lunch afterwards. And I'm like, if you're having apple fritters, I'll be in the sit with me group. Like there's, she said, we're going to lunch. And, and then she introduced me to Vela. And this is Vela. Vela came through the doors of the church. And Linda and some of her friends saw her and invited her. Said, you can sit with us. And she sat with them. And for the first time, the message and the hope of Jesus like it made sense and it connected with her heart. And that Sunday, when she was in the sit with me group, her very first time, Vela responded to God's love with yes to trust Jesus. And she was baptized that Sunday. What an amazing picture. 
of what happens when we accept other people and how that accepting other people can draw them into Christ to experience love. Because we experience transformation the greatest in an environment by acceptance and love, grace and truth. It's powerful. And so that's what we talked about the first week. The second week, we, we talked about the Good Samaritan story. If you remember last week from Luke chapter 10. And today, I'm gonna to bring both of those stories together both those stories together with John chapter four. It's one of my favorite stories. I love this passage, John chapter, chapter four. If you've got a Bible, you can, you can turn there with me. And uh, we're gonna look at this story together. It's gonna bring week one and two together. And as you turn there, I gotta tell you about this research uh, that I came across over the past week. It was, I believe it's out of the University of uh, Colorado. Uh, researcher, scientists, they wanted to figure out why does rejection hurt so bad? Why does rejection hurt so bad? So they set up this experiment. Here's what they did. Um, in a waiting room, they had um, three people, and they had one person that had no idea what was going on. Two of the people did. Person one, person two had, knew what was going on. Person three. I want you to imagine you're person three, okay? Sitting in a waiting room with a couple of strangers, and person one stands up and reaches down and pulls out a ball and throws the ball to person number two. Person number two catches the ball, and person number two looks at you and offers you have an opportunity to play the game. Person two throws the ball to you. Person three, you catch the ball. What do you do? You throw it back to person one. Person one gets the ball, and person one takes the ball. Person one throws it to person two. Person two throws the ball back to person one. Person one throws the ball back to person two. Person two throws the ball. And they continue this game and leave you out for the rest of your time in the room. You might hear that and go, no big deal. I'm a stranger in a waiting room, a couple other strangers throwing a ball back and forth, leave me out, doesn't matter. Find out it does. What they discovered is the rejection that people felt in that moment, that it was painful, so they hooked people up to machines, and what they realized is the same pain that people felt in, the, in their brain as they, as they mapped it out, neural pathways, the, the place where people felt Pain is the same place that we feel physical pain. Like if you stubbed your toe or stepped on a Lego. Right? If you experience pain, it's the same place. Here's what they did. They gave them Tylenol, and they found that the people who were rejected, that they felt less pain. Now, here's what I'm not I'm not telling you that you need to pack Tylenol on the next date that you go on. I'm not... <laughs> Or, the, or if you're, you're going on a sales call that you need to just take a couple lab bill. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that we've been hardwired in such a way for acceptance where rejection is painful. But when we are accepted, man, these, these neurotransmitters, these, these, these hormones like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and endorphins, like it feels Good to be accepted because we were made for a relationship with God. We were made to know God. We were made to be known by God. We were made to experience his, his love. And he has wired us in us that we've been wired relationally because we have a relational God. But when we feel pain, there is rejection. And, and, and there's, there's an event. We could just call it an event. Whether it is a thought or, or a circumstance or a difficult situation we're going to. And when we face an event, we, we are triggered, okay? And the triggered is we feel a certain emotion, and it may be an unpleasant emotion. We might feel sad, angry, bored, hurt, 
shame, lonely, guilt. We feel an emotion. And oftentimes, if that is an unpleasant emotion, what do we want to do? We want to get away from it. We want to escape from it. We want to avoid it. And there are a lot of different ways to, to try to escape and to try to avoid TV or food or drugs, or alcohol or shopping, gambling, porn, binge, Netflix, social media, a toxic relationship we continue to return to, or a sleeve of Oreos. A lot of different ways to escape. And so oftentimes we, we want to escape that emotion, and so we choose an escape which provides temporary relief, like temporary relief just for a moment, but then over time that relief wears off and we end up feeling empty. And we end up feeling, feeling empty, and what can happen is over time in the cycle, emptiness can become the event that we want to escape from. And so it can lead to this cycle going around and around and around. And one thing we all have in common is we've all experienced rejection. We've all experienced rejection, and we all know what it's like to feel empty. And the thing that we need, that we long for, is something to fulfill us. And the other thing that we've all probably figured out by now is that there's nothing in this world that can fill the space within because we were made for another world. We were made for God. Scripture says God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women, which means no matter how hard we try, we can't fill this space in our hearts with things and stuff. We can try as hard as we want, but we can't Amazon this space away. <laughs> we need something more. We were made for God. We long to be fulfilled because we were made for him. And the rejection that we've experienced, what we need is we need the acceptance of one who is greater than any rejection that the world could throw at us. And I want you to see these things come together, the emptiness and the rejection, because we've all faced emptiness and we've all been rejected. I want you to see this in the story in John chapter 4. It's one of my favorite stories. We'll just walk through this together to see how Jesus responds to our emptiness and our rejection. John chapter 4, verse 3. So he, meaning Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria named Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, we talked about this last week. He did not have to go through Samaria. I mean, people walked around Samaria all the time. But he says he had to go through Samaria. Why did they walk around Samaria? Because there was a cultural rift. You remember the, the Samarians, they were, they were Jews who, who married Assyrians who were, who were cruel oppressors of the Jews. And so they, when they married them, they ended up taking on pagan practices. They left they left their God, they left the temple, they created their own temple and created their own Bible, and this created a cultural rift where it was, habit, it was the habit of the day to walk around Samaria, but Jesus said, no, nah, we got, it says he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because it was a divine appointment. There was a divine appointment at a well around noon. Check out verse 7. 
And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So first century readers, they would have understood what was going on here, how odd it was for her to be drawing water at noon, because normally people would draw water in the morning when it was cool. But in the Middle East, in the middle of the day, to draw water, if somebody was drawing water at noon, it meant that they were trying to avoid the other people who were drawing water in the morning, that they were hiding, that there was something that they had to hide. And this woman, she would rather face the the cruel, judgmental son (laughs) rather than the cruel, judgmental looks of other people at the well. And so she was there at noon and Normally, men did not talk to women in public. And in that day, even husbands and their wives would rarely talk in public. So men and women didn't normally talk in public, and Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And here Jesus is talking with this woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. I mean, he is crashing through cultural barriers like Derrick Henry on the goal line. I thought that would get a better laugh than that, but it's too late. You can't make up for it, but Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I love this. He's like, if you only knew. He could see the emptiness. He knew the rejection she'd experienced. He's like, if you just knew... If you just knew who's with you right now, the free gift that God gives, like you would have living water. If you knew who I am and what I could offer you. Now, she's confused. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in in them a spring of living water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's confused. She's like, I, I, I want, if you've got the water that's going to keep me from having to come to this well, she's thinking it's about efficiency. She's thinking, she's thinking it's going to make my life easier. If you'll just give me that, this water, I won't have to keep coming here in the middle of the day. But the lights are about to come on. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And Jesus identifies her rejection, and he identifies her escape. He identifies the reason that she's at the well at noon. She's at the well at noon because of a long string of broken relationships where she's heard men say, I don't want you anymore. And five times she's experienced that. And the rejection that comes along with that. And Jesus sees her and he accepts her. 
And he empathizes with her because Jesus knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to have a town reject him. In fact, after his first message at Nazareth, he preaches and it says the entire town wanted to throw him off a cliff. I don't know what happened the first time you preached, but Jesus preached and his hometown wanted to kill him. We know his family rejected him. We know the religious leaders rejected him. We know his own people rejected him. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. So he empathized. He could empathize with her. We don't have a high priest that's unable to empathize us with us in our weakness. He'd felt that pain. He'd felt that hurt. And so he empathized with her and he identifies her need. He identifies her emptiness. He identifies where she has cycled through. And he names the shame not to condemn her, but to free her. He wanted to liberate her. And so he identifies out of his love and he reveals it. And when he does, it's uncomfortable because change is uncomfortable. And she, look what she does. She does what many of us do. She changes the subject. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's like, let's have a theological conversation. She wants to turn the attention off of her into theology. And I want you to see, Jesus is okay with that. It's like Jesus says, I've got all the time for you. You know, this is the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels. Jesus gives the most airtime to a five times divorced Samaritan woman who would be considered an outsider. Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you airtime in the Gospels for eternity. He's like, I got time for you. I'm not phased by your sin. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to dignify your voice. I want to listen to you. What you say matters. He's like, I'm not ashamed to be seen with you. I see you in your pain, in your hurt, in your rejection, in your emptiness. And they just had this long conversation. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one, am speak, speaking to you. I am he. Now, there are only seven times, there's seven times where there are I am statements in the Gospel of John. This is the first one. Jesus gives the first revelation that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior of the world. He gives the first revelation to this Samaritan woman at a well. It's the very first time he presents this truth that he's the Messiah to this woman with a questionable past. What does this tell you about Jesus' heart for the neighbors and for the nations? Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman and no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Now disciples are surprised. They're trying to figure out what's going on because Jesus is having a conversation with the wrong person. He's having a conversation with the wrong gender, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong religion. 
Jesus had a conversation, a person with the wrong relational status, but Jesus knows it's the right place, it's the right time. He's offering the right words to the right person. This is why he had to go through Samaria for this woman. It's for the one. Jesus went out of his way for the one. Now, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward them. <laughs> so she goes, she, she leaves her water jar, she goes into town and she, she brings the entire village with her. Think about this. Jesus said, go get one person. Who do you say go get? Go get the man you're living with. She brings the whole town. <laughs> she brings everybody with her. She brings all these people to her, and she brings the whole town to her. And, and look, and, and, uh, when we love Jesus, we want other people to experience him. When we love him, we tell people about things we love. We share with people about things we love. And so we go, Jesus, how can I love you more? How can I bring more people to you? But what keeps us oftentimes from bringing people to Jesus is the fear of rejection. When we realize that we've been accepted by the one who matters more than all the other rejection that the world could throw at us. That we've been, we've been accepted. She found that acceptance. And so what does she do? Look, look what this is verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. I love this. Jesus adjusted his schedule for these Samaritans. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Revival breaks out in Sychar. That's what the headline would read. Revival breaks out. The town has changed. The city's turned upside down. Why? Because of one woman. You know who the first missionary is in the New Testament? The first missionary in the New Testament is a Samaritan woman that's been divorced five times with a sketchy past. She becomes the one, Jesus said, I had to go through Samaria because I got a divine appointment with her and he uses her to reach her entire town. For she is fulfilled and she finds the one that her heart has longed for. And think about this, she hid at noon. She was hiding away from the whole village because she was afraid of rejection. But then she gets filled with living water. And she doesn't care who rejects her. It's like Teflon is on her. Like just their rejection, it just falls off. And she, she knows that she desires for everybody to experience the acceptance she's just had. And there's that little, there's that little verse. It says, then leaving her water jar. Did you notice that? That she left her jar and runs to town. The very thing that she came for, water, she leaves the jar because she found what she needed. She leaves the jar because she became the vessel. She didn't need that anymore. She said, well, what do we do with this? What's our application? Let me give you two takeaways, and they rhyme so you know they're from God. So you know they'll help you remember. <laughs> the first is come and see. Come and see. 
Never underestimate the power of an invitation. If you go, how do I share my faith? The simplest way is come and see. Come and see this man, Jesus. Come and see what he's done in me. Come have an encounter. This woman, she, she didn't have an education. She didn't have a flawless, impeccable character. She didn't even have a Bible. But what she had was an encounter with the living God and an invitation for others. Come and see. Who do you know that's close to you that needs a message of hope? And then extend an invitation. Come and see. Come and see. You know how God changes a city? Same way that he changes a community, the same way he changes a neighborhood, same way he changes a family, same way he changes a person. It's with an invitation. Come and see. So first is come and see. Second is go and be. Go and be free. I wonder, what water jar are you carrying around? What's the thing that you keep going to even though it's not doing the thing that it told you that it would do? It's not bringing fulfillment and it's not bringing satisfaction and maybe it's the thing that you go to to escape from the thing that you feel. You know, what do I do? What do I do when I feel triggered? What do I do when I feel emotions? Because our emotions have been given to us by God for us to turn to him. And the answer is surrender. We talk to God and we talk to people. We talk to God and we tell him what we're feeling. We share our hearts with him. We can either talk it out or we're going to act it out. And for some of us, we've taken events and things and rejection and hurt and pain and circumstances that we've dealt with in our past and we've shoved them down and continue to shove them down. And the invitation today is through confession and through conversation to experience the first step of healing. Because the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us to all unrighteousness. You want to be forgiven? Talk to God. You want to feel forgiven? He says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. So there's forgiveness from God. But then there's also healing that comes through a conversation, through a prayer, and that today would be an opportunity. Maybe it is a relationship that you keep going back to, or maybe it's something that you keep picking up, or maybe it's a habit, or maybe it's a substance, maybe a, a struggle, and you think you're the only one. Chances are there are many more, a lot of other people. By We've all experienced rejection, and we all know emptiness. We all have a tendency to try to escape by picking up water jars. And today would be an invitation to set it down and experience freedom. That first step of freedom is breaking the secret. Because we're only as sick as our secrets. And an environment of love and grace and acceptance. Be able to have a conversation. So we're going to have our prayer team down front at the end of service. I want to encourage you. Take a step. A courageous step. Maybe there's somebody that you want to ask for prayer for, or a close friend that you're like, man, I'd love to see them come to know Jesus. We'd love to pray with you about that. Or maybe a difficult circumstance you're walking through, or a prayer for healing. Whatever it is, we want you to know you're not alone. And we're here with you. And this can be the well. This can be the day. This can be the moment where you set down the jar and receive living water. Maybe today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. And today is the day of salvation. We'd love to stand with you and share with you.
how you can do that. But I want to, uh, I want to lead us in a prayer, and then uh, across all of our campuses, we'll have a prayer team down front and we'll be able to share in that moment. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the living water and that you see us and you know us, that every person in earshot of this message, Jesus, we thank you for the way you accept, the way that you love. We thank you that the cross is a picture of your acceptance, that you took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our crimes upon yourself so that we can receive your forgiveness, so that we can receive new life. And I pray that today would be a day of freedom. Say where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I pray would you give courage for conversations that would lead to moments in prayer, moments that would lead to movements, that you would transform our lives so that you could transform our homes, so that you could transform our neighborhoods and our cities. Would revival start here? Would renewal start here? Would awakening start here? And I pray in this moment you'd fill every heart with your spirit. It belongs to you. And would we live in your presence and in your power and be a come and see kind of people and a go and be kind of people that we'd reach our neighbors and the nations for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here today. In all of our lobbies, we got an opportunity for you to purchase the Advent. If you want an Advent study to help encourage your faith during this season, hope you guys have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving.